0: This show is made possible entirely by listeners just like you, and I really do need your help. For all the things you can do, check out the big support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Bugle, The Young Turks, NPR, The Onion Radio News, Le Show, and The Colbert Report with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users also from The Colbert Report.
1: Mo, in an effort to rid their society of Western customs, last week Iran began a crackdown on what? Hmm. Well, it's
2: not going to be McDonald's or Starbucks. I mean, that's something... I mean,
3: um, uh, it, can you give me a clue?
1: Yeah, well, basically... <laughs> I was just going to wait till you ask. Basically, when Iran looks to the West, it sees Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, they're,
2: they're eliminating Hannah Montana. No. Oh, well, because... Uh, Oh, they're, they're eliminating achy breaky hearts, No, no. <laughs> which would be lovely. Now, well, what was Billy Ray known for? for he was time. known for um, uh, it was blue jeans and then and, he, and, and part, oh. of, part, part of his look. Oh, oh, oh. oh. blue jeans and and is, was it sunglasses? Oh. All business up front. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, uh, mullet, mullet mullet
4: mullet,
2: yes. mullet, mullet, mullet. Yes, Iran has banned the mullet. By the way, I love when this show turns into password. Yeah, <laughs>
1: You know the mullet hairstyle. Yeah. It's conservative cleric in the front, party in the back. It's <laughs> it's welcome in Iran, and no more offending haircuts will be removed with clippers, and oh. any barbershop providing them will be shut down. This may be an important first step in welcoming Iran into the global community. On this <laughs> one issue, Iran is now in agreement with everyone in the world except dudes with mullets. <laughs>
2: It it also, it completely eliminates the the ongoing possibility they might have gotten a NASCAR race.
1: That's true. It'll never happen now. The troubling thing here is that Iran is not so much cutting off Western influence, but cutting off the possibility of something we all hoped we'd someday see. Iranian rednecks. Imagine acid-washed denim veils. An Iranian Toby Keith singing, I'm proud to hate an American. Or like a Mohammed Al-Foxworthy. Doing stand-up, making jokes like, you know, you're an Iranian redneck if you use the same stadium for monster trucks that you use for stoning adulterers. <laughs>
5: FASHION NEWS NOW! And uh, the Iranian government has issued a list of government-approved haircuts. <laughs> I mean, it's magnificent. It's worth looking up. It's, uh, it looks like a poster from inside a barber shop in the 1970s, from a simpler time when you would just point at a number and say, do that one. <laughs> is, uh, is that, that what... what people
6: still do? <laughs> I, d- I don't well, know. I, have, I haven't been into a hairdresser's shop this millennium. <laughs> Is that true? It is true, yeah. That's great. Well, the wife sores me out. <laughs>
5: there are there are some hairstyles, therefore, that are now banned in Iran. Uh, they include ponytails, mullets, and elaborate spikes. It's not are pretending nineteen eighties soft rock never happened, <laughs> does How can they do that? Can, just it's airbrushing musical history. The does, mullet is gone. The white snake mean nothing to You're these like, people. <laughs> the mullet. One must now choose business at the front or party at the back. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet.
6: Rest in peace, sweet Mullet. <laughs> this is what happens these days, John. Yep. This is this is a classic example of too much pol, too many politicians, with too much time on their hands. And the same thing happened here under the Labour government. They, felt, they all felt they had to do stuff, and as a result they just crapped out legislation like Catholic rabbits, <laughs> um, roughly speaking. <laughs> Every minor gap in conversation in the House of Commons is filled with some piddling piece of law-making like you can't protest within 20 miles of Westminster unless you've knitted your own placard. Um, part government wanting to control public dissent part well-meaning effort to boost the struggling wool making industry uh, or also you can dig a hole in your, you can't dig a hole in your garden without first getting written permission from your local worm habitat protection agency <laughs> and then subsequently having it checked by the police to make sure you haven't filled that hole with severed limbs so the, I mean this is, this is just this is just the Iranian government doing the same just excessive legislation um, that interestingly uh, the they're, they're quite in favor of Elvis style Quiffs, yes. Which could be a very interesting new direction for Islamic hardliners. <laughs> and are they going to go with the hips as well? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the big issue here when it's very hard to spout misogynistic fundamentalism when you're gyrating to a rock-and-roll groove.
5: Well, that's right, but... I've
6: I've always found that myself, anyway. (laughs) I've tried. Believe me, I've tried. They've said said this is an attempt to rid
5: the country of decadent Western cuts, Uh, and the Culture Ministry has produced this catalogue of haircuts meeting government approval, uh, and both side partings and, as you say, Elvis quiffs (laughs) are in. So, you know, let me get this straight. The Culture minister is getting rid of decadent Western cuts by promoting the Elvis quiff. (laughs) Will he be banning Reebok shoes while promoting the high-collared sequin jumpsuit as well? <laughs> he he also announced that using hair gel is within the law, right. albeit in modest quantities. It basically seems that the Iranian government want their entire male population to look like Danny Zuko from the movie Grease. <laughs> Not I'll a tell bad you, look. I'll take a word for that, John. No. yeah. Are well, you a big fan of that? Big yeah. Fan of Grease? Well, I mean, listen, Andy. That's <laughs> a, that's a rock-solid film. <laughs> Rock solid, Some are loving. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. A spokesman for the minister, he said, the proposed styles are inspired by Iranians' comple- uh, uh, complexion, culture, religion, and Islamic law. Missing out, crucially, and John Travolta as well. <laughs> John Travolta, back when he was incredible. <laughs> Sandy, <laughs> can't you see? Why, yeah,
6: yeah, but it's not just hair that the Iranian government style regulations apply to. They've also banned, uh Ugg boots with mini skirts, rugby socks with Y-fronts, shoes with wheels, I mean, don't they want their children to get to school on time? And McEnroe headbands with jacket and tie. Those are out. Oh, come on! Those are out.
5: Come on! Either or. Yeah, you might remember that uh, an Iranian cleric uh, accused immodestly dressed women of causing earthquakes and <laughs> other than natural disasters uh, yeah. earlier this year. If that's the case, then what on earth have men been guilty of Causing by frosting their tips. <laughs> Doing what, mate? That's <laughs> cool. Frosting their tips, Andy. Right. I think that's where you kind of go a little bit blonde on the top of your hair, but I'm not entirely right. sure. Okay, it's not some
6: some new, more humane version of circumcision. <laughs> no.
7: Uh, it's called Why He's a Saint, and it's about Pope John Paul II. And it talks about how uh, he practiced something known as self mortification. Mm-hmm. Right? In other words, he would wh- uh, whip himself, he would hurt himself, he would force himself to sleep on the floor, and this was all acts of penitence. And uh, he wanted to get closer to Christian perfection, yeah. according to the book.
8: Okay, uh, once again, for us non religious folks, this sounds like totally cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay? Uh, you wanna sleep on the floor and you know, you feel like somehow that perfects you. That's super weird. But you know, I but I can live with it, okay? He had a belt that he would take wherever he went, including on vacation, and go to work on himself, like you know, the Shia do this in the Islam culture. And when we when we see it, you know, when Americans see that on TV they're like, Oh, look at those crazy Shia as they beat themselves in the back with their chains, right? And that was done recently, uh, well it's done every year, but we re- done recently in a in one of the main uh, Shia religious festivals, right? But apparently the plope was doing something incredibly similar when he takes the pellet and he's like what's he it that what's it they could hear him from outside the room, okay? Uh, you know basically hurting himself like that. Look, if you're religious and deeply religious, maybe somehow that makes sense to you. They say hey that you connected Jesus that way and you felt his pain. The Shia are very similar. They talk about they feel bad that they weren't there uh, in the important battle that was fought 1500 years ago. And they want to connect to that pain of the man that they did, you know, let down by not being there, even though it's not at the same time period. I don't know. But for us non-religious people, it seems so strange that it's honestly—he's the pope. He's the leader of your religion if you're a Catholic, right? That it devalues your your beliefs because it seems like, well, who can believe such madness, right? What is you beating yourself with a belt have anything to do with perfecting your religion or being a better person or you know or getting into heaven I don't know it it makes no sense and I don't and of course in the catholic eyes they're like oh this is awesome what a great guy the pope was mm-hmm. look at how much closer he tried to be to Jesus and look at how much he punished himself but that's part of what I hate about the religions I got to be honest mm-hmm. it's all about guilt feeling guilt Punishing yourself, you're a bad person, and the way you bad, uh, you know perfect yourself is by beating the shit out of yourself. Right. right? That's crazy. It's crazy in Islam. It's crazy in Christianity, Catholicism, etc. And now, of course, you are like, hurry up, "Hurry up! Hurry up! Make him a saint! Make him a saint! Make a saint. looking for a miracle. They got to confirm a couple of miracles and a, and a card trick to, in order to make him a saint."
7: You know, it's really funny you mentioned that because uh-huh. today Laura Ingram was talking about guilt and mm-hmm. how liberals are. This is what she says: liberals are so afraid to feel guilt, right? And that guilt is such a great thing in life because it it steers you to the right path in life. It'll always make sure you do the right things. And she was basically saying that those on the left do whatever they can not to feel guilty so they could run rampant and, you know, be whores and be (laughs) terrible people and they don't have to feel guilty about it. They don't have to feel bad about it.
8: Yeah. Okay. First of all, Laura Hingram is a jackass, so everybody knows that, right? So let me answer her nonsensical point with a sensical point. Sensical is that a word? All right, the sensible point. Mm -hmm. Look, here's the thing, right? If you're going to go out and harm someone else, Mm -hmm. is there value in our genes that make us feel guilty about that? Absolutely. That's why they're in our DNA, okay? And you should feel guilty about that. Now, but if you're going to feel guilty because you did something absolutely harmless because some stupid book told you, oh, that's a dogma, the Sky Lord will be really angry with you if you touch your penis. Right. And then you're like, "Oh no, oh my god. Oh I, feel, I felt lust towards a girl. That's in your goddamn DNA." Excuse my language. Anyway, so then you're like, "What's sick to learn? What's sick to What's sick to And you're beating yourself senseless because you had a lustful thought or something. Well, you you're being crazy, man. If the question is, what should you feel guilty over? If you feel guilty over hurting somebody else, yes, that's healthy. That makes us human. If you feel guilty About something that where you didn't harm anybody at all, but some dude, some rabbi wrote a book two thousand twenty five hundred years ago, saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, these things. I don't know. I don't like them, you know." And if you wear clothing of two different types, man, you should hate yourself. Look, again, I feel bad every time we do the stories. I feel like you know, people are going to feel like, "Hey, I'm disrespecting their religion, etc." But look, of course, it all depends on your interpretation, but. I mean, what can I do? I mean, this is crazy stuff. I mean, you got to recognize this crazy stuff. And remember, the Catholics think the Pope is like infallible. Like, that that he's got it on lockdown. He's got this shit figured out. And he's like, God, what should I do? What? Stick the law, watch, stick the law, what stick the Lord! And you're like, no, no, no. You can, that's crazy. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And so if you believe that that dude is infallible, I hate to do it to you, but I got a bone to pick with you. I don't think that's correct. Call me crazy
1: you and so I went and let you, my mind.
0: you can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at amazon through a special widget posted at bestofleft.com You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
1: Which is the bloodier scripture? That's the question we put to NPR's Barbara Bradley Haggerty.
9: As the hijackers boarded the airplanes on September 11, 2001, they had a lot on their minds. And if they were following instructions, one of those things was the Quran. In preparation for the suicide attack, their handlers had told them to meditate on two chapters of the Quran in which God tells Muslims to cast terror into the hearts of unbelievers. Slay the idolaters wherever you find them. Arrest them, besiege them, and lie in ambush everywhere for them. The chapter, as read in this audiobook, continues. Prophet, make war on the unbelievers and the hypocrites and deal righteously with them. Hell shall
0: be their home and evil fate.
9: When Osama bin Laden declared war on the West in 1996, he cited the Quran's command to strike off the heads of unbelievers. More recently, U.S. Army Major Nidal Hassan lectured his colleagues about jihad and the Quran's exhortation to fight unbelievers and bring them low. Hassan killed 13 people at Fort Hood, Texas last year. Given this violent legacy, Philip Jenkins decided to compare the brutality quotient of the Quran and the Bible.
10: Much to my surprise, the Islamic scriptures and the Quran were actually far less bloody and less violent than those in the Bible.
9: Jenkins is a religion historian at Penn State University and author of the forthcoming book Dark Passages, which is already drawing controversy before it's even published. Violence in the Quran, he and others say, is largely a defense against attack.
10: Then we turn to the Bible, and we actually find something, uh, for many people, a real surprise. There is a specific kind of warfare laid down in the Bible, which we can only call genocide.
9: It is called harem, and it means total annihilation. Consider the book of 1 Samuel, when God instructs King Saul to attack the Amalekites. And
4: utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them but kill both man and
10: woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey.
9: When Saul failed to do that, God took away his kingdom.
10: In other words, Saul has committed a dreadful sin by failing to complete genocide. And that passage echoes through Christian history. It is often used, for example, in American stories of the confrontation with Indians. Not just is it legitimate to kill Indians, but you are violating God's law if you do not.
9: Jenkins notes that the history of Christianity is strewn with harem. During the Crusades in the Middle Ages, the popes declared the Muslims Amalekites. In the great religious wars, Protestants and Catholics each believed the other side were the Amalekites and should be utterly destroyed. But Jenkins says even though the Bible is violent, on the whole, Christianity and Judaism today are not.
10: What happens is in all religions, as they grow and mature and expand, they go through a process of forgetting of the original violence. And I call this a process of holy amnesia.
9: They make the violence symbolic. Wiping out the enemy becomes wiping out one's own sins. Jenkins says, until very recently, Islam had the same sort of holy amnesia. Many Muslims interpreted jihad, for example, as an internal struggle, not physical warfare. This is just preposterous. I'm sorry. Andrew Boston is editor of the book The Legacy of Jihad. He says there's a big difference between the Bible, which describes the destruction of an enemy at a point in time, and the Quran which urges an ongoing struggle to defeat unbelievers.
1: It's an aggressive doctrine. The idea is to impose Islamic law on the globe.
9: Take suicide attacks, he says, a tactic that Muslims have used to great effect in the U.S., Iraq, Afghanistan, and the Middle East. It's true, suicide from depression is forbidden in Islam, but Boston says the Quran and the Hadith, or sayings of Muhammad, do allow self-destruction for religious reasons.
1: The notion of jihad martyrdom is extolled in the Quran, Quran verse 9-111. Uh, and then in the Hadith, it's even more explicit. This is the highest form of
9: jihad, to kill and to be killed in acts of jihad. That may be the popular notion of jihad, says Walid El ansari but it is the wrong one. Ellensari, Ansari, who teaches Islamic studies at the University of South Carolina, says the Quran explicitly condemns religious aggression and the killing of civilians by making the distinction between jihad, legal warfare with the proper rules of engagement, and irjif,
4: or terrorism. All of those types of incidents, 9-11, Major Nidal Hassan, and so forth, those are all examples of irjef, not jihad.
9: Which is wrong, according oh, to yeah. scripture.
4: Absolutely. It takes one to
9: hell. So, what's going on here? After all, we all have images of Muslim radicals flying planes into buildings, shooting up soldiers at Fort Hood, and trying to detonate a bomb on an airplane on Christmas Day. How do you reconcile a peaceful Quran with these violent acts? Waleed Al Ansari says in the past 30 years there's been a sort of perfect storm that has allowed for a violent strain of Islam. The first factor is political, that is, frustration at Western intervention in the Muslim world. The second is intellectual, the rise of Wahhabi Islam, a more fundamentalist interpretation of Islam, subscribed to by the likes of Osama bin Laden. And so, Al Ansari says, fundamentalists have distorted Islam, for political purposes.
4: Basically what they do is they take verses out of context and then use that to justify these egregious actions.
9: Ellen Sari says we are seeing more religious violence from Muslims today because the Islamic world is far more religious than is the West. Still, Philip Jenkins says Judeo-Christian culture should not be smug the Bible has plenty of violence.
10: The scriptures are still there. They are dormant but not dead.
9: And can be resurrected at any time. For example, by white supremacists who cite the murderous Phineas when calling for racial purity, or by a conservative Christian when shooting a doctor who performs abortions. In the end, the scholars can agree on one thing. The DNA of early Judaism, Christianity, and Islam code for a lot of violence. Whether they can evolve out of it is another thing altogether.
3: God cites moving in mysterious ways as his motive in killing 3,000 New Guineans. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. In his first official statement since a tidal wave claimed the lives of an estimated 3,000 in Papua New Guinea, the Lord announced today that he killed the island villagers as part of his long-time moving and mysterious ways plan. The Lord Almighty had this to say. This seemingly senseless natural disaster is part of my unknowable divine plan for mankind. Trust me. Despite top religious leaders' reluctance to speculate on the Lord's motive in the killings, many contend it was retribution against heathen savages. Doyle Redlin for the Onion Radio News. Uh.
11: News to the godly, Los Angeles Cardinal Roger Mahoney didn't call police in 1986 after a priest admitted to molesting two boys. And he didn't want par- uh, warn parishioners because the police had told him the children were illegal immigrants who had returned to Mexico. According to court documents released this very week. Mahoney said he didn't take stronger action against the Reverend Michael Baker because he didn't know the victim's identities and because Baker told him the abuse happened outside the parish. These are all good reasons. Raj, I don't know what you're worried about. Oh, he's not worried. Okay. Much of how Mahoney handled Baker has already been made public, but the testimony released by the court marked the first time the Cardinal gave a sworn deposition about his actions as head of the L.A. Diocese, Archdiocese. It's an archdiocese, pardon me. Note the attitude, including how uh, he handled allegations against Baker over a 14-year period. The deposition was part of a sex abuse lawsuit recently settled for $2.2 Please give. The Archdiocese in 2004 released a report that acknowledged Mahoney made mistakes in handling the priest. (laughs) In dealing with the priest, I think, is what they mean. The priest is now serving a 10-year sentence for child molestation. A federal grand jury investigation into the Archdiocese's handling of the clergy abuse crisis is ongoing. Twenty-two alleged victims have accused Baker of abuse. Not all of them have filed lawsuits. I believe too readily in Baker's contrition and in our ability to treat and monitor him effectively, Mahoney said in a statement. The past has informed the present, however, and I have made sure that our sexual abuse prevention policies and procedures will keep our children young and young people safe from predators like Michael Baker. Well, of course, he's in prison, but I know what you mean. And, Deadline Boston, the Archdiocese of Boston announced last week it had put a senior priest on administrative leave after receiving complaints of sexual abuse of children 50 years ago, church officials said. The Archdiocese says Reverend F. Dominique Menna, a senior priest, in residence at St. Mary's Church in Quincy, Massachusetts, yes, it's Quincy, will remain on administrative leave pending the outcome of a preliminary investigation into the complaints. The Archdiocese said it immediately notified law enforcement once it received complaints, and the administrative leave does not represent a determination of Father Menace, guilt, or innocence. Uh, Cardinal Sean O'Malley said his diocese was concerned with the emotional implications in the case, I recognize news of these allegations may be a source of distress for many people. The Archdiocese's statement, Archdiocese's, statement did not elaborate on the allegations or how they came to light. The, uh, they have made counseling under the services available to alleged victims of abuse in their families and to parishes impacted by clergy sexual abuse. <Elle thriving> news of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, in response to a listener's question, yes, these are all copyrighted features. And no, I don't mean it.
9: Excuse me, sir, what did you say? When you shout so loud, it's hard to tell. You say
10: that I must change my way,
9: or I. My friend, that's simply not your call. Oh, if God is great and God is good, why is your heaven
10: so small? My guest tonight has
2: written a book about the eight religions that run the world. I'm not sure what the other five are after Christian, Jewish, and iPhone. Please welcome Stephen Prothero.
12: Please <laughs> have a seat. Sorry, anyways, it's Prothero. It's Prothero. However you want to say it, Prothero. That's right.
2: Any way I want to say it, Smith. <laughs> I'll go. P R O T H E R O. Smith. Now, uh, sir, you have have a new book here called God is Not One, the eight rival religions that run the world and why their differences matter. So you admit
12: that there are differences between religions because I hear a lot of like all one path. That's right. I mean, one of the main arguments of the book is that religions are not all different paths up the same mountain that they no, attack. No, they're not. Some aren't going up the mountain. Some are going down the crevasse. Well, that's right. And I like to think they're going up different mountains with different techniques and different tools. You know, Christians try to get to salvation. They try to attack the problem of sin. But Buddhists try to deal with the problem of suffering, and they try to achieve achieve nirvana. So very different paths, very different goals. Buddhists have suffering? No, Buddhists are trying to get rid of suffering. Christians aren't aiming to get rid of suffering. Um, no, we embrace suffering. Well, exactly, that's No, right. no, as
2: a Catholic, that's why we have Christ on the cross instead of the, you know, just the Protestant cross. That's right. Which it- I always go like, what happened to Jesus? Yeah. And we have, we have Christ on the cross. And, and we go. I emulate the suffering of Christ, and that's how God wants us to do it. Right, and this is part of that's the how point. God wants everyone. To this do
12: is part it, of the way. point of the book is that is that the religions are not are not the same. That They're what, not equal what either. Are be, they? What might be They're you not know equal, a, a good thing in one religion? Sir, sure, are they equal? Are
2: our religions all equal? <laughs> no, I, no, I, I don't. Which one? Actually do What's the best
12: one? What's the best religion?
2: Uh, well, you put, put it could, out there.
12: You could get a lot of people in this show to tell you which was the biggest and the baddest and the best religion, but that's not the that's not the point of my book. The point of the book is to say, look, there's these eight different religions. They're going about looking at the problems of the world, how to become a human being, in very different ways. Well,
2: and, and, what, what, what is like? What is the problem and
12: of, we can't What's the problem the of Islam? What's the problem of Islam? Well, the problem of Islam is pride. So we think we can live in a self-sufficient way without God, and we need to submit to God. That's what Islam means. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean peace. It means it means submission. So we need to bow down. We need to pray five times a day. It's a very Hindu. Di- what's their problem? Well, in Hinduism, the problem is we keep getting reborn over and over and over again, and that's horrible. And, and we don't want to do that. It was very different from in Christianity, where the goal is to be to be born again, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so Hindus have Hindus have a, di- a very different problem. That they're attacking. Confucians are trying to deal with the problem of, of social order. We have disorder in society and we can create social order through etiquette, through propriety, through rituals and things like that. And the Daoists, what's their deal? Well, the Daoists are trying to trying to uh, feel uh, have a life that's really alive. The idea is Confucians are telling you, do all this empty ritual, do all this etiquette, and it just makes you feel sort of stilted. And they want to live a life that's natural, that's free. So th- is Daoism a response to Confucianism? It is. They're both religions of China. and they're Which any- came first? Well, Confucianism a little earlier than Daoism. And what about Hindu Buddhism? Well, Hinduism comes earlier, and and then Buddhism com- comes after that. Was that a response to Hinduism? Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And and like, is like is Buddha is Buddhism to
2: Hinduism as Christianity is to Judaism? Uh, I'm not sure
12: about that, but
4: <laughs> let's but, go
12: with yes. Let's least, go with yes. Well, we'll go.
4: That we'll makes me yes. seem smart.
12: Right. We'll go with yes in the sense that it, it came after. But, you know, in, in Judaism, for example, there isn't this idea of sin that we have in Christianity. So there's a lot of commonalities between... Adam and between... Eve, Adam and Eve, the, the, no, Jewish, yeah, the Adam that's and that's... Eve were Jewish. Yeah, but... Well, that... Check under the fig leaf, my friend. Christians understand that story. Christians understand that story as a, as a story of sin, but it's understood d- differently in, in the Jewish tradition. So there isn't this problem of original sin in Judaism. You don't need the Savior to come down and die on the cross and take away our sins. It's a very different idea where the problem is exile. We're exiled from God. We're exiled from one another. And we want to return to God, and we want to return, return to one another. So wh- why did you write the book? Well, I wrote the book because I wrote the book because um, religions are horribly misunderstood. They're very, very important in the world, but we have these atheists who are saying, "Oh, all the religions are the same and bad," and then we have these multiculturalists who are saying, "Oh, all the religions are the same and, and, and good." And I don't think this idea that the religions are all the same serves to understand the world. The world is furiously religious. We have all these religions that are very influential. You can't understand what's going on in China without thinking about Confucianism. You can't understand what's going on in the Middle East without understanding Judaism, Christianity, Islam. And it doesn't help. Who's winning? it doesn't help to pretend they're all the same who's winning well I think Islam is winning I hate to say but you know I, I I list I, I list the religions in order of their contemporary impact and right now Christianity is losing well it's losing market share if you think about it in business terms you know um, well of course oh. of course but Jesus
2: always wins in the end I mean <laughs> Jesus loves to run up the odds. You saw what he did the last time he was here. He let them think he had him on the ropes. Well, that's true. Okay, then three days later, boom, he comes back. They clean up at the table.
12: Okay, so right now,
10: that may be the case.
2: And that will be the case forever after. Thank you so much. Stephen Prothrow, the book is...
0: I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month. Or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestofleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
7: Rob Stein from the Washington Post has uh, written an article about a study that has to do with abstinence-only education and how it might be uh, a very effective form of sex education. Mm-hmm. Right now, in the past, there have been no studies that indicate this. Right, so conservatives are looking at this study and saying, "Yes, we got them." Right, abstinence-only education is effective, and we have a study that proves it. Except this study doesn't prove shit.
8: Oh damn.
7: Okay. Now let me tell you what the findings of the study were. Okay? It says that only about a third of 6th and 7th graders who completed an abstinence focused program started having sex within the next 2 years. Nearly half of the students who attended other classes including ones that combined information about abstinence and contraception became sexually active. Okay. Okay? So basically, those who took the abstinence focused courses uh, were less likely to engage in sex in the next two years and those who took comprehensive sex education were more likely to engage in sex in the next two years now the reason why this study doesn't prove anything is because the abstinence focused education or curriculum wasn't really abstinence only and what i mean by that is it was a very moderate form of sex education first of all um... what it did is it didn't give any moral standards. Yeah, yeah, moral uh, standards when it came to having sex. Basically, it, the abstinence-focused curriculum said, you know, you don't have to wait till marriage to have sex. Just wait for the time that's right for you, right? Which is super moderate. That's not abstinence-only. Come on. And also, uh, the abstinence-only curriculum uh, did not disparage condom use.
8: Right so it wasn 't first of all let 's get this clear it wasn 't abstinence only i don 't know why they keep calling it that it was abstinence focused right it talked about condoms, so if you 're going to do safe sex discussion and then tell kids not to have sex until they 're ready yeah i 'm in I think that 's exactly right
7: and that 's pretty so much- am
8: I surprised that that worked i don't question the numbers mm-hmm. I think the numbers are right I think it 's a legitimate study, right. Mm-hmm. Now you can argue about some of the specifics but overall I think yeah okay that makes sense but when you listen to what was in the program it there was no moralizing as right. Anna said there was not it didn't say wait till you're married it said wait till you're ready right and it gave kids a little bit of maturity mm-hmm. about how to handle sex which is what I would do as a parent right so if they came to me with an abstinence-only program for my kids in my school, and they, and they lectured them about how you, you know, it's dirty sex and mm-hmm. condoms never work. and You should wait till you're married. Mm-hmm. I'd say get out of here. That's nuts. I would never agree to that, right? But if they come and say, "Hey, you know, condoms work, and you should only have sex when you're ready," I'm like, "Yeah, all right.
7: Where do I sign?" Right. As a parent, that's what I would want. That yeah. makes sense. And basically, this abstinence-focused education—the way they're labeling it—it's—it's it's comprehensive sex ed. Right to a lesser extent, but it is. It's comprehensive sex ed. Don't have sex until you're ready for it, and when you do decide to have sex, make sure you protect yourself with condoms. That's comprehensive sex education.
8: I have another word for it, which is, of course, it's of course edu- sex <laughs> education. So, uh, Tom, uh, regulate for us. Uh, did you have, did you have problems with the numbers, or or is that do you have a different issue with it?
3: No,
13: I had a, a couple of uh, a couple of issues one of which you touched on which I'll get to and expand on a little bit but the first one was I I had an issue with the age of the kids that they used in the study because they used 6th and 7th graders and on average that means that the kids are 11 to 13 years old Now, the thing to keep in account is they followed them or they got back with them after two years so you're talking about kids that are uh, 13 to 14 or 15 years old basically like getting back to them and saying, okay, have you had sex? Did you use contraception? That sort of thing. Now the thing is if you look at a variety of sources, you'll see that in the US the average age that someone loses their virginity is sixteen years old. Okay. Right. So
8: that would be for like For boys. Uh for I think for girls it's seventeen years old. And that's today. Back in the day you used to be nineteen, right? But for younger people it's now sixteen and seventeen. So most kids haven't even lost their virginity by the time this study gets back to them.
13: Right. So an analogy that I would think of for this study it would be like doing a study on how good a, a retirement plan works and uh following up with people when they turn sixty four <laughs> when the vast majority of people retire when they 're sixty five you know a certain percentage of people yeah before you know before right. sixty five but, but uh,
8: let me do a counterpoint on that town it's a, re- a very good point, very important point, and then we know that other studies show that eventually everybody has sex before they get married right or almost everybody right mm-hmm. so now. And no matter what pledge or what program that they went through. Now, having said that, if this program, Tom, delays kids from having sex for a little while, and they have sex at 15 rather than 13 or 15, 17 rather than 15, I think as a parent, I'm pretty happy with that. I call that a success. You see what I'm saying by that? I don't expect them to not have sex until they're 28. I just I'm hoping they can make it to 18.
13: Right. Well, I think I think the problem, and it's it's a well made point. I think the issue with this is what a lot of people on the religious right and people who have an agenda that's tied to uh, you know, religion or moral teachings are trying to make out of the study. Because if you look at the at the blogs today, if you look on, on the internet, they're they're going crazy. They're doing touchdown, end zone dances, dancing in the streets, they're they're over the top about it. They're they're saying, Oh, this is such a huge blow to so called comprehensive sex education and all of this stuff, but
8: now that's that's a great point. Let me just jump in with it to buttress that because one, they're going to absolutely twist this right away. They're going to call it abstinence only. They're going to say, you see that Jesus saves, whatever, and they're going to go back to wasting a lot of money on garbage programs. Right. That's why I'm, we're a little scared. I, I I don't mind the study itself. I'm scared about how it's going to get twisted. Right. Because right. facts are facts. Uh, but unfortunately, not for the right wing. That'll t- and my problem is the ma- mainstream media is already helping them. Right, like Washington Post, right in the title: Abstinence-only programs might work, study says. That's yes. not what the study said.
7: That's true. Uh, Look, and the reason why this is a problem is because the Obama administration has decided to cut out all funding for abstinence only education. Okay? Obama has finally done something right, and he said, I am not going to fund any type of sex ed curriculum unless there are studies proving that the curriculum is effective, right? Now conservatives can come to Obama and they can come to the administration and say, look, look at this study. Abstinence focused education works, but they'll twist it. They'll twist it in a way that sounds like abstinence only education works. And then our money, our tax dollars are gonna go toward these ineffective programs.
8: Now having said that, their initial reaction of the Department of Education was uh, well, if this study worked, then we would be interested in doing this kind of. We might do funding behind this, which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And if you call that a compromise, hey, you know, between uh, comprehensive, complete, comprehensive sex education and abstinence only, and the compromise is abstinence focused, and you have a study showing it works, well, that's the kind of compromise I could live with. That that makes sense to me, as long as they don't go to that extra step right. that the conservatives want them to.
3: to return 3.6 billion souls for rejudging, It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Officials in heaven say a clerical error led to the accidental admission of souls meant to be denied eternal rest in God's kingdom. Archangels now plan to house the 3.6 billion souls on earth while the problem is sorted out. Assistant to St. Peter Johann Stepmeyer.
4: It is important that those doomed to burn in hell don't... Uh end up here.
3: Stepmeyer went on to apologize for any inconvenience to the living, especially the constant shrieking for mercy. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio.
11: Ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly: a defrocked priest who admitted molesting at least 25 children in Stockton, California, is due to begin receiving monthly payments from an annuity purchased by the Stockton diocese when he turns 65. This week, the payments will total more than $94,000 over 10 years. They've outraged abuse victims who says who say Oliver O'Grady shouldn't be rewarded and any funds should be going to victims' assistance programs. Bishop Stephen Blair, who arranged the annuity, said it was part of a deal a deal to assure that O'Grady left the priesthood. Blair said he recognized the payments would be received poorly, quote, but there was a reason, unquote. O'Grady was convicted in 1994 of molesting two brothers. He served almost seven years in prison, then was deported to his native Ireland. There's more to Ireland than this. And there's more... John Caruso, a uh, priest from Newfoundland, Canada, was convicted of sexually abusing an altar boy 11 years ago. No, sorry, John Caruso was the victim. He is uh, the the priest was Reverend James Neal. Uh, Caruso and and his family sued Neal, the diocese, and the former bishops for 8.6 million claiming that the church officials knew or should have known the priest was a sexual predator. The response was an unexpected legal thunderbolt. Neal and the diocese countersued Caruso's mother and father. They claimed the parents were negligent in failing to get counseling and medical help for their teenage son. The legal hardball shattered that once devout family. Caruso's parents had to hire their own lawyers. Family relationships were strained. Caruso attempted suicide several times. His mother died while the legal war still raged. She took it to her grave, thinking she was part of the problem, says a sobbing 40-year-old Caruso. Four months after burying his mother, Caruso accepted the diocese's un- undisclosed financial offer. Why do you think I took the settlement, he asked. I couldn't take it anymore. I was going to kill myself. And the future Pope Benedict XVI refused to defrock an American priest who confessed to molesting numerous children and even served time for it because... The priest wouldn't agree to the discipline. Documents obtained by the Associated Press from court filings in the case of the late Reverend Alvin Campbell of Illinois show Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, following church law at the time, turned down a bishop's plea to remove the priest for no other reason than the abuser's refusal to go along with it.
8: Lembeck, um, he apparently is against social justice. Now, you think, oh, come on. That, that can't be true. Who's against social justice? Who's against justice? All right. But he also says he's against democracy. Now, again, you think, like, come on, he can't really say that. But he is. He says, well, you know, his excuse is, no, we're a republic. We're not really a democracy. All right. Now, apparently, if you're pursuing social justice, you're a Nazi and a communist. Once again, you think it can't be true, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the clip for you. Okay, this is from his show, and at different times, by the way, uh, on his TV show, he has held up, while talking about the same issue, a uh, swastika and the sickle and the hammer of the communists. Okay, so let's watch. Or let's listen. I sh- I'm sorry, uh, clip number six.
4: Because they just can't do it on their own. Isn't it weird, as we've made so much progress? that society has gotten worse. That's strange. See, the idea behind progressives, and this is why, and I'm begging you, I am begging you, your right to religion and freedom to exercise religion and read all of the passages in the Bible as you want to read them and as your church wants to preach them are gonna come under the ropes here uh... in probably the next year if it lasts that long, it'll be the next year I beg you look for the words social justice or economic justice on your church website if you find it run as fast as you can social justice and economic justice they are code words now the idea, uh, hang on, who's saying, am I advising people to leave their church? Yes. If, if I'm going to Jeremiah Wright's church, yes, well, leave your church. Yes, that's probably good advice Jeremiah. Social justice and economic justice, they are code words. If you have a, a priest that is pushing social justice, go find another parish. Go alert your uh, bishop and tell them, excuse me. Are you down with this whole social justice thing? I don't care what the church is. If it's my church, I'm alerting the church authorities. Excuse me. What's this social justice thing? And if they say, "Yeah, we're all in that social justice thing," I'm in the wrong place. Well, possible they need to be illuminated to the hidden meaning behind some of these terms. Uh, I think uh, yeah, a lot of people adopt very green sort of that's policies a, without realizing. that. That's, that's a done. very good. There's a very good chance that people don't know what it is. That's why you have to educate yourself social justice uh, and tonight I'm going to show you history you have never seen before. Uh, Pat saw some of the uh, history uh, that were I'm showing tonight you saw some of the clips Have you ever seen anything like this American history that I'm gonna to show tonight no if not I told ever. you if I told you that I had film of this you would say no no way would you yeah. not yeah yeah because uh, i've never heard of it if i told you that while while communists were in the white house advising the president and and making policy communists in the white house the communist movement had filled the madison square garden to the rim with cheering communists they weren't hiding they were talking about how great their relationship is with the Democratic Party, etc., etc. If I told you that, you'd say, okay, what? But how about if I told you this? At the same time, the Nazis had a convention at Madison Square Garden, and right there on the swastika, they had the big red banners with the white circle and the swastika, and right
8: next to it, a big red, white, and blue American flag banner. I'm going to, I'm going to show you history you've never seen before. You know why? Because it's not really history. Now, does that mean that there were never communists in this country ever? There were never anybody that supported the Nazis ever in this country. No, of course not. Can you find that in American history? You can. In fact, Jesse Ventura, who's going to be on the show later, writes about how Prescott Bush, the great. Uh, Grandfather of George W. Bush helped German steel interests that were helping the Nazi Party. And he did it for money. And it was before the war, and then, of course, it was after the war, and so he got in some trouble for that. Okay, now does that make Bush a Nazi? It doesn't. That was his great grandfather from a long time ago. But yes, there have been Nazis or Nazi supporters or etc., etc., communists in this country. But you get the trick he's doing. It's called the same sentence strategy. I just came up with that term. Bush did it for uh, attacking Iraq. Now he did, he he did at times say it, but oftentimes he wouldn't say Iraq did 9/11. He would just say 9/11 was terrible. Oh my God, they attacked us, and you know what? Iraq is in the same part of the world that that 9/11 happened from, and Saddam Hussein is terrible. And he keeps saying it in the same sentence, so that by the end, by the time we invaded Iraq, 69% of Americans thought that Saddam Hussein was personally responsible for 9/11. Because they kept using it in the same sentence, and nobody ever pointed it out. Beck is the master of that. So, in the middle of those stories, he started talking about social justice, then he switched to Nazis and communists. Same sentence. Did he explain how they were connected? How the church that preaches social justice is connected to Nazis? No, never connected it. But it's the same sentence Nazis, communists, social justice, social justice, fascist, communists. And then the guys listening to Glenn Beck go, I don't know, I guess if they say social justice, they must be Nazis. Now, get to the point about social justice in the church. I mean, can you believe he says that if your church is preaching social justice, first of all, you should alert the church authorities? Oh, that's great. (laughs) Imagine you go up to your church authorities and you're like, I don't know if you know this, but they're preaching justice in this church. What should they be preaching instead? Injustice? (laughs) I mean, uh, look at how they turn things on their heads. And now the people who wrap themselves in the church were like, oh, the church, the church, the church. The minute that they find it slightly inconvenient if you actually teach Jesus' words in the New Testament, they're like, oh, leave the church. Who cares? Leave it right away. Beck says, if my church is talking about justice, I know I'm in the wrong place. Well, that part is definitely true. Social justice is apparently code words for communism and Nazism. Well, that's gotta be news to Jesus. When he did his sermon on the mount, I guess he was preaching fascism and communism. Unreal, unreal. You think they care about the church? They don't care about the church. You think they care about justice? Obviously, they're telling you they don't care about justice, right? All they care about is how to make the bucks. So if somebody says the church, hey, maybe we should look out for the poor, Glenn Beck says, oh no 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 no, it's economic justice. No, 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 you crush the poor, you help the bankers, you help the corporations, you help the biggest people, the richest people in America. Now, if you told back uh, that, he said, "Oh no, no, I'm not interested in helping the bankers, but when you ask him, "Hey, should we regulate the banks so they don't take these risks with our money?" he says, "Oh no, 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 don't regulate them, don't regulate them, no,, no, no, the government should get out of the business of regulating banks and let them run amok and in the end, well, will you look at that the bankers wind up with all the money and but the poor got crushed and if you talk about hey maybe we should help the poor in church no nope. that you're at the wrong place social and economic justice no we can't have that what they're trying to do is they're trying to drive out any remnants of the decent Jesus the one on the that delivered the sermon on the mount the one that cared about the poor the needy the weakest they're trying to drive that from the church now i you know look i, I I'm not a big fan of Christianity or any of the religions, right? But if you read the New I tell you all the time, read the Bible, right? And it's got downsides, and I talk about it all the time. But it has upsides, too. If you believe in any of the upsides, if you read the New Testament at all, and you heard this, I mean, the number one guy Jesus would throw out on his ass the minute he came back down, if you believe it, is Glenn Beck. <laughs> so I could just see that conversation. Jesus comes out and he's like, so you're to tell me I'm not I shouldn't talk about social justice that that makes me a Nazi that I shouldn't talk about economic justice and helping the poor because that makes me a Nazi I'd love to see how Glenn answered that these people are using your anger and unfortunately for some of their viewers your naivete to try to make more money off your ass and if anyone dares complain. That the banks, this year, in the middle of a gigantic economic collapse that they caused, are making record bonuses, record bonuses. If you dare complain, you are a communist and a Nazi. That's Glenn Beck.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. So, of course, I just got back from Netroots Nation in Las Vegas. I have lots of stories to tell. It was a great time and so on and so on. But uh, what I didn't realize is that I ended up having a lot of um, opinions about Vegas itself. I'd never been there before, and I, I find myself uh, very opinionated on the subject. But luckily, luckily for you and for me, I think, uh, people who are more entertaining than I also have opinions on it that are very much in line with mine. So what I'm going to do is actually uh, give them the lion's share of the commentary time here at the end of the show and allow uh, my new friends Jamie and Allison, the hosts of Citizen Radio who I met in Las Vegas, to tell you what they thought of the city, all the while understanding that I agree with I think essentially everything they say. Now just be prepared for a little bit of
14: swearing because that's how they roll.
15: Vegas, baby!
14: Oh! Are you feeling lucky? Now, everybody, I have a bet for you to take. Okay. You like this? Yep. See, I'm I'm using... I like the lingo. I'm using gambling analogies. If
15: you could use gambling analogies for the rest of the episode, I would really appreciate that because I have been infected, not with herpes as we thought because we're in Vegas, but with the spirit of gaming.
14: Blackjack! Yes! Here's a bet.
15: That's a game. Here's a
14: bet for all of you to take. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners of Citizen Radio, will Allison and I kill ourselves, together of course, because we are in love, before this show is over, because we are in the rotting abyss That is this dumb fucking city. Hey, everybody, do you know Las Vegas is a real place?
15: It is. I'm looking at it right now. Out our hotel window. It exists. There's mountains and Mm -hmm. palm trees and then sort of hazy on the horizon, herds of fat tourists who descend upon the city.
14: Much like gladiators descended upon villages they were about to pillage.
15: Not gladiators because they were in shape. Much like locusts fat sweaty locusts okay. and they infest hotels and they just sit at these slot machines for 12 hours at a time putting quarters into it with the bucket yeah. balanced on their
14: lumpy thighs would you say if they were in a deck of cards they'd be the joker bam number 3 nice number 3 nice anyway here's here's the deal netroots nation was nice enough to fly us out mm-hmm. to do our radio show and for me to do a little stand-up. So it would behoove me to trash Netroots Nation's decision making skills.
15: It would behoove you? It would benefit you?
14: Yeah, I'm just gonna throw in wrong words okay. at different places. Is that part
15: of the gaming yeah. thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it.
14: So it would ejaculate me. Alright. To Come into their turf
15: mm-hmm.
14: and jumping jack.
15: Okay.
14: All over their flashback. I'm getting bucket. a
15: little confused.
14: Chairs are lamps. Okay. And apples are Cheerios. Have you figured out what I'm doing yet? Same things I'm seeing in the room.
15: Yeah. Almonds
14: I are Allison's. The almonds
15: are are Allison's, yes.
14: And Macintosh computers Speaking to microphones I feel like
15: before this happened Windows You were talking about Netroots Nation
14: Oh right, so they chose this. It's a great, great Organization and conference I mean, it's pretty much just Like the biggest progressives In the world Show up at a certain place At a certain time And we battle plan And it's awesome uh, we're going to have Marcos from the Daily on. We're going to talk to union people and talk to pro-choice activists and talk to a lot of our friends and comedians and smart people.
6: Uh,
15: Why Vegas?
6: Yeah.
15: I don't understand. It just seems like a really garish, greedy gluttonous place to celebrate progressive ideals.
14: It seems like a microcosm Netroots having the conference in Las Vegas seems like a a microcosm of why the Democrats lose everything. Because it's one of those things where it's like, yeah what does this place celebrate? Greed gluttony Republicans fucking gross frat guys, rape strippers cigarettes steaks i don't know
15: if vegas buffets. celebrates rape oh. i haven't seen it on like on a no banner no it, it, no
14: at the palms across the street wednesday is rape night
15: really yeah well i certainly didn't know that
14: do you stand incorrected say that's yeah, wrong yeah
15: i stand incorrected that's
14: wrong yeah would you say that i just royal flushed you
15: Yes, you royal flushed me.
14: Would you say that I just full-housed you? Here, here's here's the problem. Uh, you don't
15: know any gambling terms, do you? Go fish. Yeah. <laughs> I figured that out when you said go flush.
14: Memory! Remember that game?
15: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Also played with cards.
14: 52 Pickup. I only know children's yeah, games. Yeah, I noticed that. I was downstairs and I tried to play 52 Pickup with one of the dealers and I was chased out of the casino They don't
15: area. like when you do that.
14: I was... I am not welcome to back downstairs. You should have
15: asked me before you did that because I totally could have told you they frown on you doing that.
14: They do. Anyway, so I, I just feel like it's one of those things where it's like, we're just like Republicans. We can go to Las Vegas and it's like, no, no, no. We're better than Republicans. Let's go to Madison.
15: Are we better? I mean, I don't know. I just, uh... You don't want to badmouth anybody here. But, uh... You know, there's still that problem of, We're gonna get shit-faced! And it's like, oh, dear. Yeah. And and I know that's not everybody who's here. There's a lot of really good people who are going to interview who work their asses
14: off. Totally. And there are... Look, there are lots of people... Allison and I happen to be sober because we do not do anything well in moderation. But... You know, there are also people who can have a healthy drinking life and uh, also get things done, obviously, many of our listeners, or, you know, they, they, they can handle themselves. It's just, it is one of those things where it's like, all right, we're all getting together to share ideas, and you read all the tweets, and it's like, margaritas by the pool, fucking karaoke, and it's just like, oh, ugh. Yeah,
15: like, I can't envision a situation ever where I would be excited to do
14: karaoke, even with some of my favorite bloggers. Sorry, Atrios. I don't want to sing journey songs with you.
15: I don't know if Atrios wants to sing journey songs. I don't
14: know if Atrios is going to karaoke.
15: Um, but yeah, I was actually whatever you do, for the love of God, if you would like to maintain respect or admiration for Netroots Nation, do not search NN10, that hashtag, in the Twitter search engine. Because uh. one fine lady. Was tweeting nonstop about all the cabana boys she's sexually harassing while (laughs) she's here. And I was like, oh, good. (laughs) I'm so glad she traveled 3,000 miles.
14: From the Midwest. I saw her. She's playing at the Palms tonight, and they're rape night.
15: Oh, no. It's rape night. <laughs> she's,
14: a, she's Cabana boys. She's
15: Cabana a, boys, run. Run.
14: It, it always ends poorly for them on rape night at the Palms. Oh,
15: those poor Cabana boys. I didn't shoot. And the Chip and Dale dancers. Oh, oh. goodness.
14: Well, they're asking for it. Sorry, let's, fellas. Let's be honest. With
15: their tiny pants and their little <laughs> ties, little bow ties. For the longest, What did they think was going to happen? For the longest you time. sluts. <laughs>
0: So there you go. That's a nice little overview for you of Vegas. And now just to round out uh, what would have been, you know, a 10-minute bitch fest for me, uh, I'm just going to add a a couple of points that they didn't touch on. Uh, First of all, it is, you know, uh, more than 100 degrees all of the time in Vegas. And that's not inherently bad for the people who live there. I mean, they didn't choose for it to be that way. Um, But they did choose for the temperature inside the buildings to be about 65 degrees. So the you, the only two choices you have are sweating and shivering. Those are the only two. So you're uh, incredibly uncomfortable all the time. And of course, it's enormous waste of energy. But wait, it gets better because you think that just cooling buildings to 65 degrees would be a waste of energy. But no, it gets worse when you go down to the strip itself and you walk along the street and there are buildings cooled to 65 degrees with not just the doors, but... Sometimes entire walls open to the street so that you're walking along in 100 plus degree weather with an arctic wind blowing at you from inside the buildings. And it just makes you want to weep, you know, like, do you have uh, like a conservative friend or family member who like on election day will call you up? And be like, hey, hey, I canceled out your vote once again, like just to kind of, you know, poke you in the ribs a little bit. Like, I know you voted for those Democrats, but I, you know, I I went Republican. I canceled you out. That's that's kind of what Vegas is. Uh, Vegas is your asshole conservative uh, friend or family member who is like, hey, you know all that good you're trying to do in the world? Well, we're working twice as hard to fuck you over the other direction. Okay, so I I can leave it right there. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can keep going about my disdain for Vegas and all that it is and stands for and the fact that it is, frankly, an uninhabitable piece of land that is not suitable for uh, for human habitation. Uh, But I I won't go into that. So what I'm going to do is thank a couple of members and get out of here. I want to thank Shannon W., who signed up uh, for a monthly membership uh, pretty recently, just back on uh, June 2nd. And, and then Judy W., uh, totally different W., uh, who signed up for a full year in advance on June 28th and, uh, and went above and beyond the standard membership level just to help out the show a little bit more. So huge thanks uh, to Judy and Shannon and all the members who make the show possible. Of course, the show is made possible um, by every single one of you, just by listening uh, and, and all the different things you can do honestly, there are so many ways you can help the show that it's cumbersome to uh, to talk about them on, on every episode. So I, I tend to not do that. But what I have done is I've put everything together inside a big orange box on the right side of the website. It says support BOTL. And I just really encourage you to, to go over to the website and uh, and check that out, see all the different things you can do, uh, you know, leaving reviews and iTunes uh, and on and on and on. You know, it's not it's not just donations. It's promotion and, and all those other sorts of things. So thanks in advance for uh, for helping out in whatever way you can, and that's gonna do it for me. So coming to you, thank goodness, not from Las Vegas, but still from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you ten times a month thanks entirely to the support of members and donors to the show from Bestoftheleft.com.
9: It's black and white Who took apart a picture That wasn't right Pitch burning On a shining sheet The only maker That you want to meet A dying man In a living room The shadow paces The floor Who'll take you out